I hope you're all well. We all ready to receive God's word? I hope so. So Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. And for anyone who doesn't know, we're working our way through the book of Mark and we're coming towards the end. This is the last week almost of Jesus' life. Well, it really is the last week. Only a few days to go until he dies, suffers, bleed and dies for sinners and then is gloriously risen from the dead. We're in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17 this morning. Jesus answers the religious authorities paying taxes to Caesar. So should we read that passage one more time? Mark chapter 12, this is 13 to 17, and it's on page 1017 in the Church Bible. Let us hear the very word of God. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he said. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought a coin and asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Amen. This is God's word. May his word bless our souls this morning and may the Holy Spirit help us to understand his word and apply his word to our life and may he speak to us by the preaching of his word. So in Mark chapter 11 verse 27 all the way through to chapter 12 verse 34. So Mark 11, 27 through to 12, 34. We've kind of got a little mini series, do you think? bit of a mini-series, Jesus answering the religious authorities' questions, and also the political authorities' questions. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 27, through to chapter 12, verse 34, we really see the wisdom of Jesus. Don't you just love the wisdom of Jesus, the way he answers these questions that are brought to him? Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God for us, isn't he? Because in Mark chapter 11, this is 12 to 27. Do you remember what the question was there? It was a question brought by the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. What was the question they were asking? By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do this? Who gave you the authority to turn over the tables in the temple? And Jesus answers that question with a parable of the tenants, doesn't he? In Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. 
And the answer is, who gave me authority to speak the way I am? Who gave me authority to do the things that I'm doing? God. I'm doing it under God's authority, my Father's authority. And I am God, the eternal Son. The temple, it's my Father's house. It is my house. It's the family home. And I will do it in it what I want to do. And I will speak of the temple the way I want to speak of it. With God's authority. With my own authority. And then in chapter 12, verses 18 to 27, the Sadducees then ask Jesus who we're basically going to be married to in the new creation if you've had more than one wife in this life. It's amazing how Jesus answers that question. But we're not looking at that today. And then in chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, one of the teachers of the law asks Jesus, what's the most important commandment? So you see all these questions coming from the religious authorities. So this morning, chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, the sort of chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, they send the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to ask Jesus a question. And the question is, is it right to pay sort of like a poll tax or an imperial tax to Caesar? That's what we see in verse 13, isn't it? What does it say? Later, they, the they there is the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders, sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. So firstly, what were the Pharisees? What were the Pharisees? Well, the word Pharisee in Hebrew, which is porash, comes from the word to be separate. So it's quite a good word, isn't it? It was basically the holy people, wasn't it? It's kind of like the Puritans of the 17th century, isn't it? It's quite a nice nickname. So it's basically their nickname was, was the separate people. And in a way, that's what Christians are to be, isn't it? We are to be set apart. We're to be holy. But sadly, the Pharisees were anything but that, were they? So the Pharisees were kind of like an influential religious sect within Judaism during the time of Jesus and the early church. And the Jewish historian uh, Josephus says that apparently there were about 6,000 Pharisees around the time of Jesus. Which sounds quite a lot, doesn't it? 6,000 of them, apparently. And apparently most of them, the Pharisees, would have been sort of middle-class businessmen, and they would have been leaders in the synagogue. And they believed that every Jew should observe the 600-plus laws in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So that's for every Jew to observe, those 600-plus laws in the Torah. So they were kind of like the religious police. They were just sort of watching if everyone were keeping these sort of 600-plus laws. But the Pharisees kind of also believed some good stuff, but it was a dead belief. They did believe that the Old Testament, so the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, they did believe that the Old Testament was the word of God. 
And that's what every Christian should believe, isn't it? That it is the holy, pure word of God. The Pharisees believed in heaven and hell. The Pharisees believed in angels and demons, just as we do. The Pharisees also believed in the resurrection of the dead. That in the last days, the dead will be raised. Some to eternal life, some to eternal damnation. And the Pharisees also believed in a Messiah. They were waiting for a coming Messiah to establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And in a way, that's what we're waiting for, isn't it? We're also waiting for Jesus to return. And we're waiting for him to create the new heavens and new earth. And we're looking forward to sort of ruling and reigning with him in the new creation, aren't we? But even though the Pharisees believed some good stuff, as I said earlier, their hearts were dead. They didn't have a love for the stuff that they believed. And here's a question for us. All the stuff that we believe, and you can read all the stuff that we're meant to believe there, what we're meant to believe as a church. Can you see that? What we believe. Do we believe that with a joyful heart, with a passion? Or is it just sort of dead stuff for us? Now, even though the Pharisees believed that the Old Testament was the word of God, they also gave equal authority to tradition. They also gave equal authority to traditions. So they made up a lot of other stuff, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, Moses did that. So we're also going to do it. And that's very, very dangerous, isn't it? When tradition is on par, equal to the word of God. We can't do that. But the worst of all, the worst thing that the Pharisees did, they didn't trust in Jesus, the one who Moses wrote about. Moses wrote about Jesus. Jesus says himself, Moses, he wrote about me. But you're refusing to come to me. The one Moses wrote about. If you come to me, you'll have life. So they were opponents of Jesus, the Pharisees. And Jesus describes the Pharisees as hypocrites. So they were self-righteous, smug, weren't they? I suppose they were meant to be good people, holy people. Sadly, they weren't. But what about uh, the Herodians? What were Herodians? Well, they were also Jewish people, but they were sort of non-religious Jews. They were just into politics. So they were kind of like a political party, the Herodians. And they supported King Herod, Herod Antipas, and they also supported the Roman Empire. They liked the fact of being part of a Roman Empire. You know, the Roman Empire ruling over Israel, the land of the Jews. And apparently, they also believed that Herod was the Messiah. So when Jesus came along, and Peter said, you are the Messiah, when Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God came, they didn't like him either. So the Pharisees and the Herodians didn't have a lot in common, did they? If anything, they hated each other. They were opponents. The Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other. But they had one thing in common. They hated Jesus. Jesus was their opponent. The one thing that they had in common is that they wanted to kill Jesus. And we've already seen that in Mark's Gospel, haven't we? Was it chapter 6, verse 3? 
Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, their enemies, how they might kill Jesus. And you just see their sort of corruption and their hypocrisy there. They're planning with the enemy. Do you remember the, um, the coalition, the Lib Dems and the Conservative Coalition? It's like, what's going on there, isn't it? Cameron and Clegg, isn't it? They don't see eye to eye on hardly anything. But then he compromises, doesn't he? Clegg. He sort of ditched a lot of his policies just so he could also be kind of prime minister. But he really wasn't, was he? So the Pharisees and the Herodians, they were opponents, but they were, you, they were united over hating Jesus. And you see that even in the world today, don't you? Maybe you've got some friends, or maybe you've got some work colleagues, and maybe they don't get along, but when it comes to hating God and hating what the Bible teaches, they unite together with that. And you even see that in the political world, don't you? Politicians who sort of hate each other, but they'll be united in attacking what the Bible teaches. What does the Bible tell us about marriage? What does Jesus tell us about marriage? Well, Jesus said, well, in the beginning, God created a male and female, and a man should leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, isn't it? Jesus said, that's the pattern for marriage. But sadly, a lot of people sort of hate God's design for marriage, don't they? And they make a mockery of marriage. The people of the same sex can so-called be married, isn't it? It's an attack against God's word. And also, murdering children in the womb, isn't it? Politicians unite on that. Oh, yeah, it's okay to murder a child. But they wouldn't say that, would they? Oh, it's giving a woman a choice. That's what it is. A choice. You see that even in the world today, don't you? People sort of compromise they corrupt, they are hypocrites when they unite together to hate Jesus, to hate God and his truth. But what do we read then in verse 14 of Mark chapter 12? They came to him. So the Herodians, the politicians, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. I don't know about you, but when you read that verse, don't you feel like being sick? It's like, oh, get off, isn't it? Oh, don't you just hate flattery? If someone came up to me later and said, oh, Dav, I love your hair, you've got beautiful hair. <laughs> it's just flattery, isn't it? Or something, oh, you're looking very fit and muscly at the moment. Really? <laughs> I've just been on camp where I've had sticky toffee pudding and plum pudding and puddle pudding, whatever that is, all week, isn't it? No, it doesn't, does it? Flattery. It's important to encourage, isn't it? So important to encourage. But there's a big difference between encouragement and flattery. Flattery gets you nowhere. It's just dishonest, isn't it? People just telling people lies to find favor with them. 
Really, what should the Herodians have done? What should the Pharisees have done? They should have just been honest with Jesus. Look, Jesus, we don't like you. In fact, we hate you and we want to kill you. But have we got this wrong? Tell us what you're really about. Are we wrong? They should have just humbled themselves before him, isn't it? And allow Jesus to speak the truth to them. But they thought they knew the answer. They didn't want the truth, did they? They weren't humble. They weren't seeking, were they? They were proud. They were smug. They were self-righteous. And really, they should have been honest and humble. I've got a friend who is a member of a church. And there was another member of the church that, for some reason, he just didn't like. (laughs) And the other person didn't like him either. Do you sometimes have people like that where, oh, there's something about that person. I, just, I really just don't like them, and I just can't get along with them. Yeah, they were members of the same church. They were sort of polite. They were superficial with each other. They would sort of flatter each other. But then my friend just said, I've had enough of this. I'm going to have to speak to this person. I said, look, this is really bothering me. My conscience is bothering you. For whatever reason, I just don't like you. I don't like the way you look. I don't like the way you talk. I just can't stand being in the same room as you. And it's wrong. <laughs> I can't, I, I, it's just really wrong. And the other person said, I feel exactly the same about you as well. I said, isn't it awful? And they both wept together. And they cried. They prayed. And they repented. And now they're best friends. Just because they were honest with each other. And sometimes we need to do that, don't we? Honesty is such a good policy. Being pure in heart, isn't it? Live in the light, isn't it? Not in the darkness, live in the light. When we do offend each other, we're to be honest with you. Not being flatterers, not being superficial, isn't it? Look, I'm struggling with you at the moment. But I know Jesus died for you. We should be united. We should be a body. Let's pray together. Let's repent together. Let's sort this out together. So what do we read? Is it right, the end of verse 14, can you see that? Is it right, this is what their question was to Jesus then, after they tried to flatter Jesus, sort of butter him up a bit. Is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. So what is um, imperial tax or this sort of poll tax that we read there in verse 15? Well, can you see a little footnote in your Bible? Can you all see that? A little B there. Verse 14. So it says, it was like a special tax levied on subject peoples not on Roman citizens. So the Jews, Israel, were subject to the Roman Empire. And then the Jews, or Israel, had to pay this sort of special tax, whereas Roman citizens were exempt. Now that's going to make people angry. I don't know, probably there's a few people here who remember the poll tax. I vaguely remember it. In Was it the... 1989, 1990, it really was the end of 
Margaret Thatcher, wasn't it, to bring that in. There were riots, weren't there? In London, people were sort of burning buildings and things. There were riots over this sort of poll tax. And a lot of people sort of just refused to pay it, isn't it? People were sort of indignant. Uh, could you imagine if uh, they introduced another sort of tax and certain parts of the country were exempt? Or if you got a London postcode and maybe a Berkshire postcode and a Surrey postcode, you don't have to pay this tax. You'd have people from Yorkshire coming down to London, wouldn't you, with their sort of pitchforks or whatever, isn't it? There'd be riots again in London, isn't it? Or people who live in the south, they don't have to pay this sort of special tax. But other parts of the country, oh, you'd have the Welsh, the Scottish. It'd be horrendous, wouldn't it? So you can almost understand how the Jews were feeling. There's something intense going on here. How Israel must have been feeling about paying this sort of imperial tax, this sort of poll tax to the Roman Empire. And it's a, that's, I think that's maybe the main reason why so many people voted no, wasn't it, with the um, EU referendum. People are saying, look, you're paying £350 million a week to the European Union. And what are you getting in return? You're paying them, you're getting nothing in return. And people were sort of indignant. Yeah, I am going to vote no for this. But anyway, not a political rant this morning. So the Pharisees and most of the Jews would have hated paying this poll tax, this imperial tax. But the Herodians and the Roman and the Roman authorities, obviously, would have agreed with this sort of imperial tax, wouldn't they? So you can see what a difficult position Jesus was put in here. So you'd have had um, sort of Roman soldiers. They were just scattered all over the place in Israel, wouldn't they? You'd have had Roman soldiers sort of watching everyone. Yeah, we agree with the poll tax. You lot should pay this imperial tax. You'd have had the Herodians who believed that you should pay this poll tax, this imperial tax. And then you'd have had the Pharisees and the and the religious Jews were obviously against it. So I don't know how many of you sort of play chess, but there's a term in chess that's called a fork. Is that right? Called a fork? So whatever you do, you lose a piece. Your opponent has put you in such a position, or whatever move I take now, I'm going to lose a piece. So if Jesus says, yeah, pay the taxes then there'd be a riot. <laughs> and if Jesus says, don't pay the taxes, then there'd also be a riot. Maybe before the words come out of his lips, maybe a Roman soldier would have been on him straight away to shut him up. So whatever way Jesus jumps, he's going to be in hot water here. Have you ever been put in that position? Someone asks you a question, and you're thinking, whatever I say here, I'm going to be in hot water. But we just love Jesus' wisdom here, don't we? The Son of God's wisdom. And I, I wonder if we're asking similar questions today. Do you think so? Sometimes the church asks a similar question. I think the question we maybe ask is, should we obey politicians or should we oppose politicians? Should we obey the government or oppose the government? Should we be, what's the word, is it syncretists? Sort of 
blending in with the world, isn't it? Being a syncretist, blending in with the world. Or should we be sort of sectarians, sort of hiding off from the world? So should we blend in or opt out completely? And I think, obviously, there has to be a lot of common sense here. If the government are telling us to do something that's contrary to the word of God, or if they're forbidding us from doing something which scripture commands us to do, then obviously, respectfully, we have to disobey the government, don't we? If the government told us, look, you're not allowed to use Bibles in your church anymore, and said, I'm afraid we can't do that. You know, we build our lives on the word of God. We're going to stand on the word of God. Or if they told us, as a church, you have to marry same-sex couples, we'd say, no, Jesus says we can't do that. There's certain things, if the government tried to oppose it on us, then we would have to disobey. But don't you just love Jesus? He's uh, the master, really, of escaping from his opponents' traps. And what does he do here, the end of verse 15 through to the end of the passage? Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now, before we look at how Jesus answers that question, I think it's so important to note that Jesus had to borrow a coin to make his point. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I thought, he he couldn't even go into his pocket and take a coin out. Jesus literally didn't have two coins to rub together. Have you heard people say that, oh, I haven't got two coins to rub together? I think you have. If you go to a cash machine, you could probably get something out. But literally, Jesus didn't have two coins to rub together. When we think who Jesus is, Jesus is God the Son. He's the king of the universe. And he became poor. He left the glory and splendor of heaven to come down to this earth. To be a poor, humble, servant king. Jesus became homeless. Jesus says, well, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the son of man, I have nowhere to lay my head. I mean this reverently, but Jesus became a tramp for us, didn't he? Isn't that quite something? The king of glory became homeless for us. He even had to borrow a donkey, didn't he, to ride into Jerusalem. And the only possession that Jesus had were his clothes. And they were taken from him in his death. And even after his death, they had nowhere to lay his body. He had to borrow a tomb. The Son of God. So when Jesus warns us of the love of money, Jesus isn't a hypocrite, is he? Jesus wasn't in love with money. He's an amazing example, isn't he? But I think a key phrase, uh, and Dave has very helpfully touched on it, the key phrase here is the image, isn't it? The image. So the thing that bears the image belongs to the original. 
So the thing that bears the image belongs to the original. And in a way, Jesus' opponents fall into Jesus' trap here when they answer Jesus' question. When Jesus says, whose image is this? And whose inscription? If they were a bit faster, they should have said, okay, we see where you're going here. They said, oh, Caesar's. Fell straight into sort of Jesus' trap in a way, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So what is God's image? If we're to give back to God what is God's, what is God's image? Well, it's on the first page of the Bible, isn't it? Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness. We're created in the image and the likeness of the triune God. So they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the question Jesus is really asking the Pharisees, the Herodians, is... Do you belong to God? Are you sure? And in a sense, everything in the earth belongs to God. In a sense, the whole human race belongs to God. But we can really know God only through one way. Only through Jesus. We can truly belong to God. What do we read in Acts chapter 20, verse 28? Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. This is God's word, um, which the Apostle Paul spoke to the elders of the church in Ephesus. So the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking to the elders of the local church in Ephesus. Elders of the local church in Ephesus, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock the local church at Ephesus, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. We are priceless, aren't we? How much are we worth? The blood of God, the very blood of God. But the question is, has God got all of us? Has God got all of us? There was a, a preacher in, in Swansea uh, called David Shepherd. He's with Jesus now. And he had a very powerful line. And the line he had was, the one who's got you doesn't own you. And the one who owns you hasn't got you. Shall I say that again? The one who's got you doesn't own you, which is the devil. And the one who owns you, God, hasn't got you. Has God got all of us? Has he got us all? Are we giving him our everything, our life, our all? And then if we belong to God, then we can sort of joyfully submit to the earthly authorities without worrying. If 
taxes go up, then we don't have to worry, do we? I belong to God. He's in control of everything. In a way, I, I really don't care what happens with Brexit, whether we leave or whether we stay. God's in control, isn't he? I'm not going to get stressed about it. We don't need to if we belong to God, isn't it? No need to worry about the future because we belong to him. We're in his hands if our faith is in Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection. If we've truly repented and believed, if we are a child of God, if we are members of his church, don't need to worry, do we? He's in control. And we can submit to the earthly authorities without worrying. We can give to Caesar what is Caesar's, isn't it? Even when they make unjust demands of us, we can submit to the governing authorities without complaining. Let's close with Romans uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Uh, the book of Romans is tremendous, isn't it? There's a, such a clear uh, gospel presentation there, isn't it? Reminding the local church at Rome uh, of the way of salvation, how God saves, the seriousness of sin, and the glorious gospel, the cross, the resurrection. And then, at the end of uh, the epistle to the Romans, there's a lot of practical instructions, aren't there? Specific practical instructions. And this is uh, the instruction in chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. And that is such a challenge, isn't it? Uh, I've, I've got a bit of a slight interest in politics. And there's a bit of me that likes to make fun of politicians. But I was quite convicted about this. It's very easy to make fun of politicians. There's so many TV programmes sort of mocking them, isn't it? But really, it's not right, is it? It's very easy to make fun of Boris Johnson, isn't it? <laughs> but why is he president of the United Kingdom? God, for whatever reason, God has put him there. And I've got a responsibility to pray for him. And to respect him and honour him. Unless he's telling me to do something that's very contrary to the word of God. But I was thinking, oh, am I really 
respecting, honouring Boris Johnson? Am I really praying for him as I ought to? As a Christian, this is our standard, isn't it? And whoever's in authority over us, isn't it? Whoever's in authority over us, we're to honour them and respect them. And if we've told someone in authority that we would do something, we need to do it. As Christians, we need to be squeaky clean, don't we? So if the school are telling us, um, have you paid for the trip? We shouldn't be late at paying, should we, as parents or something, isn't it? We should never have outstanding debts or anything. We should be the first to pay bills and things, isn't it? No outstanding bills. And why should we do that? Because we want to shine for Jesus, don't we? We want to be holy for him. How bad our witness would be if we were disrespectful and if we were dishonest. Let's pray that God would give us grace to shine for Christ, to be good examples.